Praise the Lord. Is he good? Is he good? Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you in midweek Bible study. Thank you for being here. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's grab our Bibles and we're going to get into the word of the Lord. And uh, I appreciate the praise team ushering us into the presence of the Lord. Well, how many survived the holiday weekend? Amen. I see sunburns and all those good things. Sometimes you need a vacation to recover from the holiday, don't you? Amen. But it was a good time and uh, appreciate everybody who uh, took it easy on me in softball on Monday. I appreciate that. And uh, we had a great time. I love my church family. I love my church family. Amen. Well, I, I, was, um, I was thinking about this lesson tonight, and uh, I was going over illustrations in my mind, and it was just a few years ago that I bought a padlock. Anybody have a padlock? Uh, and I bought it for a storage unit. In the days that we were traveling evangelizing and we had put all of our belongings in a storage unit and I bought one of those high dollar padlocks where you lock it and the idea is that you secure your belongings and then you have a key and you can access that anytime that you want to. And uh, it's a neat little invention. The problem is I lost the key. <laughs> and so everything that I owned that had any value attached to it was locked in this storage unit. And I could not get to my belongings until finally I looked, I searched high and low I mean, you know, they give you those keys. They're microscopic almost. And uh, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. I was going through every drawer in our 40-foot trailer that we had at the time. And I just could not find the keys. I suspect that my daughter, I'm going to blame it on her. It's probably not her fault, but I'm going to blame it on her anyway. And... Um, Never did find the keys, and so finally we had to go in there and we had to cut the padlock with, with some bolt cutters. And I learned an important lesson that you cannot have one without the other when it comes to a padlock and keys. How many have ever lost the keys to your car? How many have ever lost the keys to your house? <laughs> you recognize that a lock and a key go together. They, they function together. They were designed to be used in conjunction one to another. And if you, if you lose one, on the converse side of that, there's been times where uh, I have keys on my key ring, and I have no idea what that key was designed for. How many have ever had a key that you just started looking on your key ring, and you have no idea what that key goes to? Anybody ever been there before? And that key is worthless unless you know what it was designed to let you into. And so uh, that's an example of something where you can't have one without the other. 
And that's the title of our series. Everyone said, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> you know, with cell phones, you know, cell phones are just miniature computers now. And they have this marvelous yet frustrating little invention for cell phones because, um, for example, for me, I do all of my banking on my cell phone. And so now they have passcodes on your cell phone so that someone can't just pick it up and get inside your cell phone. For me, someone could just go and empty out my bank account. They could get into my cell phone. So I have a, a passcode lock on it. And, uh, but the problem is, if you forget... <laughs> if you forget your passcode, <laughs> then, then your cell phone is worthless to you. All of that, all of that power, all of that ingenuity... Uh, is worthless to you unless you have the passcode. And, and if you know anything about me, I have one of the worst memories, especially when it comes to numbers. And, and many, many times I've been locked out of my cell phone because I can't remember the passcode. And so there are so many things in the physical world, in the natural world, where it requires two things to function together. And so it is in the spirit world. How many know there are things in the spirit world, things that God has designed to function together. You need them together. And, uh, and that's what we've been looking at. Now, we're going to do a quick review here. And we're going to look at two of the things, three of the things that we've already studied very quickly. Number one, everyone said tithes and offerings. You can't have one without the other. Tithes are not offerings, and offerings are not tithes. They are two Distinctly separate things that God designed for the support of his church and for the ministry and the things of God. And, and it's very important that we as children of God support the work of God with our tithes and offerings. Everyone said amen. And I'm purposely reiterating that. And uh, I don't know why, but this has become, again, the most listened to teaching series on our podcast if you'd like to go back, uh, the very first segment of You Can't Have One Without the Other deals with tithes and offerings for those listening on the podcast. Number two, praise and worship. Everyone said praise and worship. You can't have one without the other. You need them both, and they are not the same thing. And if you'd like to understand that a little better, you can listen to the second edition of You Can't Have One Without the Other on the podcast. Now... Last Sunday morning, we touched very, very quickly. We just kind of skimmed over it. It came up in our discussion of praise and worship. A third, a third set of things that you have to have together, and it was spirit and truth. Everyone said that with me, spirit and truth. And what I'd like for us to do tonight is I'd like us to delve a little deeper into Spirit and truth. You cannot have one without the other. And I believe that with all of my heart tonight. Of all of the things that we've discussed so far, this is, this is one that is incredibly important. You must have spirit and truth. Now, to begin our discussion, let's look at John chapter 4 and verse number 24. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. It is on the screen behind me. John 4 and 24, 
And this is, of course, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman. And we're going to jump in on the middle of his discussion. We're not going to look at the entire story here. It would take us a long time to delve into that. But suffice it to say that Jesus was having a discussion with this woman who was not an Israelite woman. And he was talking to her about true worshipers. He was talking to her about what it means to be a worshiper. How many want to be a worshiper tonight? He was describing what what it looks like to have a heart, to have a lifestyle of genuine worship. And in the middle of this very powerful, life-changing discussion, Jesus makes this statement in verse 24. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's read that together. I see my typo there now, but let's go ahead and read it anyway. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that word must, uh, we could translate they absolutely. It's absolutely necessary. So this is not something that's a, a suggestion. This isn't something that would be a good thing to do. You know, there's a lot of things in life, maybe in your walk with God, that it would be good for you to do them, but not necessary. But this is an instance where Jesus is saying that you absolutely must worship in spirit. Everyone said spiritually. One translation says in the spirit. How many know that you have to worship him in the spirit? Another translation says with the spirit. But all of that really means the same thing in the end. You've got to worship him spiritually. You've got to be in the spirit, with the spirit, full of the spirit. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Any apostolics in the house tonight? Uh, I know I'm preaching a little slow because I played softball this weekend. But I, I want somebody to believe with me tonight that you have got to worship God in the spirit, with the spirit, full of the spirit. But not just spiritually, because there's a lot of spiritual people out there. How many know a lot of spiritual people, but they do not have truth? There's a lot of spiritual people. To be spiritual is not enough. It's not even enough to be spirit-filled. We're going to talk about this in a little more depth, but but being spirit-filled by itself is not enough. You can't have one without the other. But Jesus says you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. Everyone said truth. The Amplified Version says reality. Pastor, I wish we'd have had time to talk about this. This, this week I, I want to I talk to you about uh, what that means to, to worship God. The idea of truth being reality. In a, in a sense, truth is reality. But, but how many know that there is truth? There is absolute truth. And it's important that we make up our mind that we are going to worship God with full truth. We need the truth of God's word. We've got to have it. We need it. And we ought to seek after the truth. We ought to long for the truth. We ought to pray for the truth. We ought to hunger and thirst for the truth. And, 
And the Bible says that if you'll, if you'll seek, you'll find. And if you'll knock, the door shall be opened unto you. If you're hungry for truth, God will reveal his truth to you. You don't have to live your life wondering. God will reveal his truth to you if you will search for it. Now, if you're too busy playing video games and, and buying things at the mall, and, and if you're so steeped in tradition, you don't care what the word actually says, then you won't find it. But if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened unto you. And you better be more than spiritual. You better hunger for truth. And when you hunger for the truth, you will be filled with the Spirit. Everyone said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You, I keep coming back. I, I really wrestled with, with mentioning this again because I realized that I've mentioned Cain and Abel in every single uh, segment of this series. But for some reason, the story of Cain and Abel just keeps jumping back to me. And it's been relevant to every single topic that we've covered, tithes and offerings. How many remember when Cain killed his brother Abel, the very first murder recorded in humanity, recorded in the Bible. He did so because of a dispute, if you will, over his offering and his brother's offering. So that was relevant when we were talking about tithes and offering. It was also relevant when we were talking about praise and worship because when you give an offering... It is a form of praise. It's a form of worship. How many believe that tonight? Your giving is just as important as your dance and your shout and your holiness and all of those things. Because, because if, you don't, if you're not a giver, okay, now we're not going to talk about that again. But it's relevant in every situation. But we have is, is Abel's sacrifice his offering was acceptable to God God made it clear that he accepted that sacrifice but Cain's sacrifice his offering was not given rightly or in truth I guess we could say and so God rejected his sacrifice and and it caused bitterness it caused jealousy it caused a dispute brother against brother and so he really, what happened was, it seems to me, Cain took out his displeasure with God, his anger towards God. He took it out on his brother because his brother didn't do it. How many have ever noticed that? It wasn't his brother who rejected the sacrifice. It was God. See, we do that a lot in the church. We take things out on our brother. We take things out on our sister in the Lord. We, we gossip. We backbite. We hurt them. We do all of these things, and it really has nothing to do if we're honest with the situation, with what they did, what he did, what she did, that we're frustrated because God isn't doing things the way we want God to do things. And so we take it out on our brother and we take it out on our sister. What he should have done is got down on his knees and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm going to get this right. I will bring an acceptable sacrifice next time. Forgive me, Lord. The problem was between him and God, not between him and his brother. But he would not 
He would not take the necessary steps to walk in truth, to walk uprightly, to walk righteously. And listen, whenever you see someone who is beginning the process of backsliding, they will always grow angry with their brother and their sister in the Lord who's trying to do things right because the very... The very presence of somebody doing the right thing, somebody trying to walk in truth, it will cause conviction to grip their heart. And conviction is a powerful thing. And when you allow conviction to make you angry, then you're in a very dangerous place with God. Conviction ought to take you to your knees in prayer, not to a gossip conversation on a cell phone. Conviction ought to get you in a prayer closet, not somewhere fighting against the things of God. But so often, when we're not right with God, conviction actually propels us in the wrong direction, and it ought not to be so. And so we've got to be very, very careful that when we, when we do things that pertain to our relationship with God, that we do them in truth. I want to be in the truth. How many want to walk in the light as he is in the light? I want to have the truth of God's word. And so... I, I, I often, I know that I sometimes set myself up as, as a critic of, of what I sometimes call modern day pop Christianity because so much of Christianity is full of people who are like Cain. They, they want to have a relationship with God. They want to bring offerings. They want to have a measure of truth. They, they want to do certain things, but they, in the end, they want to do it their way. They want to baptize the way they want to baptize. They want to do church the way they want to do church. They want to give the way they want to give. They want to preach the word the way that is easy for them and, and tickle ears. But in the end, God says, no, I will not accept man-made sacrifices. You are going to have to worship me in spirit, and you're going to have to worship me in truth. That's why this church is an apostolic church. That's why we preach one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's why we stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach this is still that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Praise God, because we want to worship God spiritually and in truth at the same time. And we don't get to decide what truth is. You know, you may, you may want to worship God, and I applaud that. I'm thankful for people who desire to worship God. But if you study his word, you'll find that God gets to decide how he is worshipped. Did you know God is God? Funny thing about God, he's God. An amazing thing. He gets to make the rules. We don't get to make the rules. We, sometimes we want to and we'd like to manipulate God and we'd like to twist the scripture into configurations that, that somehow fit with our preconceived ideas. But God demands that we change our heart, our mind, our actions, our philosophy to match his word. His word sets the standard. My, my heart does not get to decide what's right and wrong. Did you know your heart doesn't get to decide? If you start trusting in your heart, if you start trusting in your philosophy, if you start trusting in your feelings, you are going to be in a big mess real, real fast because the heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. That's why we need the word of God. We are to conform ourselves to the word of God. Does anybody believe that tonight? We're to conform our lives to the truth. Everyone said the truth. How many believe the word is truth? 
His word is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. And so what that means is you might feel in your heart like it's okay for a man and a man to get married, but it doesn't matter what you feel like. What matters is thus saith the word of God. You might feel like in your heart that it would be okay to participate in worldliness and ungodliness, but it doesn't matter what your heart says. It's thus saith the word of the Lord, because God says, if you're going to worship me, you're going to do it in spirit and in truth, and you don't get to decide what truth is. Nobody does. The pastor, the bishop, the prophet, the potentate, the president, nobody, nobody gets to decide what truth is. God alone. How many know that God alone? Amen. And so let's talk about that word truth for just a moment. Everyone said truth. We're talking about spirit and truth. You can't have one without the other. So let's talk about truth for just a minute. Proverbs 15 and 8 says the sacrifice of the wicked. This is very important. I, I hope that we can open up our hearts to this right now. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. How many recognize that this is very strong language? This is not the, the word abomination is used in conjunction with many, many terrible things. And the Bible says that the sacrifice. So if a wicked man, a wicked woman is offering up sacrifice to God, it's an abomination to him. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. And so you've got to be very, very careful that when you are offering up sacrifice, when you're giving God worship, when you're coming to the Lord with prayer and petition and praise, God is looking at the state of your heart. And God is concerned with whether or not you are worshiping him truthfully, righteously, if you're upright in your heart. And by the way, God isn't fooled by the outward appearance. You can have everything looking shiny on the outside. But if on the inside you're dirty, God is going to see it and he'll reject it just as sure as Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, Oh, on the outside you're whitewashed, but on the inside you're filthy. God is calling us to be upright because the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. All right, now we're still talking about truth. So it's important that when we pray, how many want God to hear your prayers? How many want God to answer your prayers? Well, we've got to make sure that we are doing our best to walk uprightly before the Lord. Everyone said truth. Psalms 145 and 18, the Lord is nigh. That word simply means near. The Lord is near unto all them that call up on him. To all that call up on him in truth. Did you catch that qualifier? God is looking for people who will call on him in truth. I want to be in the truth. I want to be in the truth. Now, you cannot say that you love the truth if your Bible is full of dust on the shelf. Now, I know that I'm, I'm being a little convicting here tonight, and uh, I, I really wrestle with the Lord, but 
I was, I was praying this week. I was praying about this series, and I've really had a lot of these subjects burning in my spirit. And I was, I was talking to several preachers, friends of mine. I've noticed this trend where there's a lot of churches now uh, in Georgia and, and around the United States that they're down to one service a week. That's all they have. They don't have a midweek service. They don't have a, any, they only have one service on Sundays. And I was talking to one friend of mine. They've gotten rid of their teaching on Sunday mornings. And so now they just have, all they have is one service on Sunday morning, no teaching, just preaching and music. That's it. And that's all they have all week long. That's all they have. And I, I think to myself, my Lord, how can we convey the precious truths of God's word with just one 45-minute service a week? I realize we live in a busy world. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that. But if we've ever needed the truth of God's word, we need the truth of the word of God. And then I was praying, and, and I felt the Lord quicken in my spirit. You know, we have a lot of church around here at Apostolic Tabernacle. I'm thankful for that. We have a lot of opportunity for teaching and preaching, and we, don't, we never get everyone underneath this roof at, roof at the same time. I wish that we did. I wish that we did, but we don't. But, but people come in one service, not another service, and some of that's work and all of those things. I realize the world that we live in. But even if we could get everybody under this roof at the same time, every single service, every Sunday, every Wednesday without fail, we would not be able to cover in depth the word of God. We just don't have enough time. I, I'm often struggling in my spirit because if I were to cover some of these subjects with the depth that they deserve and require, we would be here till midnight. Pastor would be teaching till 11 o'clock on Wednesdays, and we just can't do that. We have family and work and jobs and all of these things. We realize that that's not possible, and God began to speak to me, and he said, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take people who will open up their Bibles throughout the week. Because you can't just depend on teaching once in a while for you to get everything that you need to walk in truth. You've got to fall in love with the word for yourself. And, and you know, I, I think the enemy has tricked people into believing that you can just come to church and get everything you need and leave your Bible untouched at home. God did not intend for his word to be neglected Monday through Saturday. And he didn't, he didn't intend for the preacher to just spoon feed it to us either. And so I was praying about it. And I said, Lord, all that I can do, I hope that what I can do with this series when it comes to tithes and offering, when it comes to praise and worship, when it comes to spirit and in truth, I'm, my prayer is that if I can just pique your interest so that you might say, hey, I've never thought of it quite like that. I've never looked at it quite like that. Maybe I don't quite agree with the preacher. You know what? I hope you don't agree with me once in a while. And I hope that it inspires you to go home and open up your Bible and study it until you find out the preacher really did know what he was talking about. And then if you disagree, I hope you come and talk to me and we can work it out together because we need to fall in love with God's word because if we are going to be seekers of truth we are going to have to do it more than just Wednesday night and more than just Sunday we've got to open up our Bibles throughout the week and study the word of God praise the Lord praise the Lord and so that is my prayer that we'll open up the word and study it for ourselves all right Everyone said spirit. Now, we've looked at truth. We need to worship God in truth. But we also need to worship God in spirit. Let's look at Genesis, the book of beginnings, chapter 1, verse 2, and verse 4, through verse 4. 
Could we read this out loud together? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So one of the very first descriptions that we have of God is that God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Hallelujah. And in the very beginning, now I know that we're looking at the story of creation, and I'm still one of those people who just believes the Bible. And when the Bible tells me that God created the earth in seven days, I believe that God created the earth in seven days. And, and, and by the way, I had somebody ask me recently, I know we've made this point before, but I've had many people ask me, well, it seems that the earth is older than a few thousand years old. Well, don't you believe that if God could create Adam to be a full-grown man, that he could create the earth with age on it? He created the mountains, and so he created the earth with age. God can do that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God can do that, and he did do that. And so in the very beginning, we see that God is a spirit. And when God began to form the world, when God began to create the world, he moved upon. Oh, that's a powerful thing. You need to understand that when God moves on things, he changes things. When God's spirit begins to move, he begins to divide the light from the darkness. We need God's spirit to move in America today and separate the darkness of sin and the darkness of false doctrine and the darkness of deception and the darkness of pain. We need God to separate that and we need God to, to let the light of his gospel shine in a dark world. And I believe that God is still moving upon the face of the deep today. There is no life that is so full of darkness that the Holy Spirit cannot move upon it and change it for the good. How many believe that the Spirit of God is still moving just like it was in creation? God is still creating a new thing in the hearts and minds of men. God can take an addict and he can reconfigure their mind in one moment and he can separate the light from the darkness. How many believe that today? God can step in to a life that has been pumped full of deception. A liar who knows nothing but manipulation and pain. And God can reconfigure that human mind and separate the light from the darkness. He can move upon the void and he can create something where there is nothing. How many believe that today? We need to stop looking at people as though they are impossible. Because with God, nothing shall be called impossible. And that's what we need to pray. We need to pray that God's spirit would separate the light from the darkness. Praise the Lord. Now, it's still Pentecost Sunday in my mind. I'm continuing this, so bear with me. Someone said spirit. We're talking about spirit. You need spirit and truth. Joel, the prophet Joel, prophesied in Joel chapter 2 and 28, it shall come to pass afterward. He's talking prophetically, these are the words of God, that I will pour out my 
spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants. So, in other words, this spirit is no respecter of class. Mm. God isn't just going to the right side of the tracks. God's spirit is not going to move just on the rich or just on the poor. It's not going to move on just the white or just the Asians or just the black. God's spirit is for all people everywhere of all ethnic backgrounds. Mm. It's not just for the middle class. It is for all flesh. God can save the millionaire, the billionaire, and he can save the pauper at the same time because God's spirit is no respecter of persons and upon the handmaids. And so it's not just for the men. Amen? You know, the Bible was the original. Well, I'm not going to go there. It's for everybody. For the handmaids. In those days, someone said those days, will I pour out my spirit. Now, that was the ancient prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And now we're going to see that Jesus, there's so many prophecies about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but I'd like us to look at, at Jesus when he prophesied. And Jesus prophesied on several occasions about the impending outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Someone said we're talking about spirit and truth. You can't have one without the other. John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, everyone said baptism, and of the Spirit, someone said the Holy Ghost in filling. There's another one, we'll talk about that, water and Spirit, but he cannot, someone said he cannot, it's very strong language. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot be a part of God's kingdom without the Spirit. Mm. Jesus, again, speaking a few chapters later in John 7, verse 38, he said this, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, now that comes into the whole concept of truth. How do you worship God in truth? You do it as the scripture hath said. Not as the preacher hath said. If the preacher's not preaching as the scripture hath said, then he's, he's preaching a lie. But if the preacher is preaching the truth of God's word, then he is a man of God. And so he that believeth on me truthfully, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly or out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. In other words, he was, he was prophesying in the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, that they would receive it. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was prophesying of things to come. And of course, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, we finally see this prophecy prophesied by Joel, Isaiah, and Jesus, and John the Baptist himself. In Acts chapter 2, we, we finally see it come to fruition. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, 
There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Let's read verse 4 together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the Spirit. How many want to worship God in spirit? You've got to have the Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. And I have this little quote here that, uh, that I felt like, the, in fact, felt like the Lord gave it to me in, in prayer. Seeking the truth will lead you to be spirit-filled. Do you believe that? If you seek the truth, it will lead you to be spirit-filled. And being spirit-led will keep you in the truth. It's just as important to stay in the truth as it is to find the truth. Mm. I know a whole lot of people who found the truth and left it. Buy the truth. What does the Bible say? Buy the truth and sell it not. And by the way, the truth can sometimes be expensive, but it's worth every penny. I said the truth is worth every penny, metaphorically speaking, of course. All right. Now, we're going to look at Romans. Everyone said Romans 8. If you have your Bible, turn with me there. It's on the screen, but it'd be better if you have your Bible. And we're going to look at several scriptures, and, uh, and then we'll probably wrap it up. We're still talking about the Spirit. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, we've been talking about you need to be filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. This is, of course, a Pentecostal church, and we believe that uh, it's a part of the fabric of who we are as a church. And we need to see people being filled with the Holy Ghost on a regular basis. How many pray that God would open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out His Spirit? We need the church to be praying for that. We need the church to be praying because people will not walk a life of victory without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And there are many people who have seen the truth but have not received the Spirit, and they're out of sync with God. And so, but Romans talks to us a little bit about what it means to continue in the Spirit because how many understand that when you speak in other tongues that you repent of your sins? How many remember when you first repented of your sins? How many remember when you, you were baptized in Jesus' name? What a powerful experience that is. And God filled you with the Holy Ghost. And it was a powerful, life-changing moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's one of those things where when you really, truly get the Holy Ghost, I mean, you can't forget it. It's one of those, those moments that's just ingrained in your memory. And every once in a while, you just God takes you back to that moment. And by the way, when you get a little cold in your spirit, you would do well to just get down on your knees in prayer and say, Lord, take me back to that, that feeling that I had when you first filled me with your spirit. Fill me all over again. Renew me, God. Refresh me, God. And he'll do it. He'll do it. But to continue in the spirit is more than just the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. We need that. We ought to speak in tongues. Uh, we ought to speak in tongues regularly. Of course, there's the gift of tongues, which is another discussion for another day. But we are to be led of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Speaking in other tongues is the evidence that God has indeed filled you. 
But we need more than just that initial evidence. We need to continue in that. We need to cultivate that. And that's what uh, Romans chapter 8 is all about. And we're going to try to go through this quickly in verse number 1. There is therefore now, how many see that there in verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's where most people stop. And they say, end of quote. But how many know that it's important to read the entire verse? In fact, most of the time it's important to read the entire chapter if you're going to really understand. Because I hear a lot of people inaccurately quote the scripture and say, well, hey, we're living in a New Testament age where there is no such thing in, as condemnation. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But notice it continues on and says, who walk not after the flesh. So there's no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there is condemnation for those who are walking in the flesh. How many understand that's true? There is condemnation for those who are walking according to the lust of the flesh. But to those who are walking in the spirit. There is no condemnation. Praise the Lord. Somebody ought to just say, thank you, Jesus, for filling me with your spirit and leading me with your spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Somebody ought to say, praise the Lord. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, mankind was dependent upon his, his own flesh to deny his flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Oh, praise the Lord. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They take care of the things of the flesh. They think about the things of the flesh. They're entertained by the things of the flesh. They're constantly working towards greater things in the flesh. But they that are after the spirit are mindful of the things of the Spirit. How many are concerned with spiritual things? That's why the house of God is a priority in my life. That's why the preaching of the Word is a priority in my life. That's why reading the Word is a priority in my life. Anybody awake? Someone said, praise the Lord. So the things of the Spirit ought to be a priority in our lives. If you're in the Spirit, they will be. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy of God for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's read that verse together. Verse eight. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. How many want to please God tonight? You can't do it with your flesh. It's going to take the spirit of God. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh. Amen? Is that your testimony tonight? But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell 
in you. If you have the Spirit, how many are saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Ghost tonight? So if the Spirit dwells in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We have to have Spirit and truth. Without God's Spirit dwelling inside of us, we're none of his. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You cannot be righteous without the Holy Ghost. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's talking about the rapture. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. You owe the spirit everything. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify, someone said put to death. You've got to put to death the things of the flesh. So you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I like verse 15. Let's read it together. Let's stand and read this in closing. Verse 15, if we could read it out loud. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. So God's Spirit bears witness with our flesh that we are the children of God. Let's lift up our hands and thank the Lord that we're his children and he's our father tonight. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you that we have your spirit tonight. I'm so glad that we are a spirit-filled church But, Lord, even beyond being a spirit-filled church, I want us to be a spirit-led church, God. I pray that we would have more than just outward manifestations in church. I pray that on Monday we would be led of the Spirit. I pray that on Tuesday we would walk in the Spirit. I pray on Wednesday we would make our way to midweek Bible study full of spirit and full of truth, God. I love you and I praise you and I worship you. In Jesus' name.